Hello and welcome to Strange Sound. I'm Joe. Glad to be with you once again. Thanks for joining me. Really appreciate your listenership and uh, hope you enjoy the show this week as you do every week. I know. <laughs> I'm going to offer, as I usually do, my uh, standard disclaimer. The views expressed on Strange Sound are my own. They represent the views neither of my friends neighbors nor my Family members, nor my coworkers, nor my employer, nor my neighbors. Did I mention my neighbors? I guess I mentioned my neighbors. Um, nor people acquainted with me on social media, nor people who either like or dislike my posts on social media, um, nor passersby on the street. My animals don't agree with me. No one really agrees with me. I'm just shouting into the void, as I've said in previous episodes, just uh, trying to find willing ears out there to listen to my rants and raves. Trying to just add a little light and kindness to this world. More than happy to do this. (laughs) Anyway, thanks for listening. Um, As is my custom on Strange Sound of late, and we did change the format a little bit. I say, when I say we, I mean me, because there's nobody else involved in the show besides me. I'm the uh, voice, I'm the editor, I do all the work. It's just me, just little old me. So, hey, you got a complaint, you come to me. Anyway, uh, I usually read my political rant that I um, post on my blog every week. Under political rants, the uh, blog can be found at big-green.net. Just follow the blog link. Click through to the WordPress blog and look for the category Political Rants, and you will find the political rant that I'm going to read to you today, um, which I posted on August 20th, which was yesterday. Today is the 21st. This is the day I'm recording it. It is it is a Saturday, as um, Hurricane Henri is bearing down on New York State uh, within the next couple of days. Uh, we... <laughs> Can hardly wait. Um, it is Saturday, the 21st, and I just posted this yesterday. It is entitled, A Short Ending to the Longest War, and I'll let you guess what this is about. No doubt you will. Anyway, here we go. <clears throat> There's a lot that's been said about what happened in Afghanistan over the past couple of weeks. Most of what you'll hear on cable talk shows is a brand of imperial outrage that would be hard to mock with any justice. I would need a pith helmet and some bad white shorts, for starters. As I've said in previous posts, the imperial worldview runs deep in our commercial media. It's like the setting moon illusion. They just can't help but see things that way. I've got a few thoughts on this issue. Don't expect to see me invited on any daytime news shows anytime soon. What I'm about to say would likely make heads explode on Morning Joe. I wouldn't be the Joe in Morning Joe, let's put it this way. A lot of the criticism of Biden's withdrawal from Afghanistan is deserved by this administration. I've said often enough that their foreign policy is abysmal, and now they've managed to make a mess of practically the only part of it that I agreed with. 
They've known this day was coming since before the inauguration. What the hell were they thinking? I think the most reasonable explanation is that the Biden administration is terrified of taking in too many refugees. Sam Cedar said this on Majority Report a few days ago. It's like they don't want to be yelled at by Republicans, so they let these Afghanis swing in the wind. That's the thanks you get for working with us. You're welcome, people of Afghanistan. Another thing I've heard is outrage that Biden suggested the Afghan government forces didn't fight hard enough. This is where the imperial worldview is crucial. Most television commentators I've seen appear to consider fealty to American war aims as the standard by which to judge bravery or cowardice. Let's face it, many Afghans took part in the U.S.-supported military because they needed money. There's nothing wrong with that. If they folded in the face of the Taliban advance, it's because they didn't want to be the last people to die defending a government that no one believes in. Who can blame them? We always take this condescending view of our allies and country whenever we invade and occupy another nation. The same stuff was said about the Army of the Republic of Vietnam, Arvin, or the South Vietnamese forces, as they were called. Somehow we expect these folks to fight to the death for our national objectives, and that's plainly irrational. There's no question but that we owe a massive debt to all Afghans for using their country mercilessly over the course of the last 45 years, first to bludgeon the Soviets and later to satisfy post-9-11 bloodlust. The least we can do at this point is bring a large number of refugees stateside. I know Tucker Carlson and various other white supremacists think that this is some kind of great replacement conspiracy. But fuck those guys. If we suddenly care about Afghans, we should help the ones who need help. Love you, Joe. That's my blog. Again, big-green.net. Click the blog link and look for political rants, and you will find this at the top of the list. And by all means, you know, share, comment, um, push back, do whatever you like. There's means of doing so on the blog. Like most WordPress blogs, it has, you know, the ability to comment and share and whatever. Um, So anyway, this has been a rapidly developing situation. There's no question about it. Things change every day. Um, I think fundamentally where I was a few days ago on this is where I still am. Um, I I think the only thing I can say about the Biden administration at this point is that, you know, this is an an administration that is of the blob, by the blob, and for the blob as far as foreign policy is concerned. This is an imperialist administration, well-steeped in it, uh, with a sort of a um, streak of pragmatism in there. And... In the context of that, I have to give Biden some credit for at least being the guy that did this, that said, this is the end of this war. I am ending this war. I am ending this war. That's that's what he did. This is what people have been asking for for years. The majority of the American people want us to end this war. The majority of the American people want American troops pulled out of Afghanistan, and this is what he said he was going to do, and he finally did it. 
It was only promised by previous presidents, the last couple of presidents anyway. I don't think Bush ever promised that he would pull them out. He was more like interested in pushing them in. Well, he pulled them out so that they could invade Iraq. Let's put it that way. So yeah, they did bring troop levels down in 2002 and 2003 just so that they could send those same poor benighted troops to Iraq to uh, start another disaster. But this whole policy has just been one disaster built on another one, right? Afghanistan? Um, I don't know how uh, old my listeners are because I don't have any demographic <laughs> information on the five people who listen to this. <laughs> but if you're younger than 20 or if you're younger than 30 even, you you may just dimly remember the years following 9-11, um, the the kind of madness that took hold as a result of that incredibly traumatic experience that everybody experienced all at once. Um, it was, it was terrible and people were freaking out and things were going completely pear-shaped. I do remember one of the things I remember best about it was that, (laughs) um, the press corps, which is, which tends to still be really laser focused on air travel. Um, this was like one of their biggest nightmares. And the thing I heard commentators on television complaining about, I think it was the um, Agronsky group. Uh, I can't remember which one of these sort of like reporter roundtable shows it was, <laughs> but it was like the uh, one of these shows um, where they were they were sitting around a roundtable and complaining about things, and one of them is Pat Buchanan, um, <laughs> and they were complaining loudly about the fact that they couldn't do curbside check-in anymore on flights because of 9-11. And that would seem to be like the one of the loudest things they were complaining about at that point. <laughs> at, at one certain point after the remains of the building stopped smoldering, they were, you know, complaining about how they couldn't do curbside check-in anymore. How inconvenient! But, you know, again, the the mainstream press has always been really laser-focused on air travel because they do a lot of air travel. So when there's a story about the airlines, it's they're right on it. They know all about it. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) not to get too far afield, but in the aftermath of 9-11, it was obvious that they were going to use the military to respond. There was a level of madness that I hadn't seen since, I'd say, the Iranian hostage crisis, that that was probably the closest analog I can think of. Um, And in the year, you know, 2001, that period just following the the attacks on 9-11 was just madness. It was utter madness. And yes, within a month, they were in Afghanistan. They were bombing the living piss out of the place. And, you know, I had activist friends. I've talked about this before. I was in a small anti-war sort of um, Central New York Peace Council, peace action group uh, based in Syracuse mostly. But there was a, there was a little sort of um, annex of it in Utica that used to meet at uh, a Unitarian church that's pretty close to my home. 
And I used to go over and meet with these folks. Uh, this is the group that I met with that I remember, I believe I told you about um, having talked to someone before uh, 9-11 about how this person was very connected, had was convinced that um, the Bush administration was going to invade Iraq. And I remember being a little bit skeptical about that because I, I remembered Cheney being a little reluctant about invading Iraq back during the Gulf War. So I was kind of reluctant to believe that, but turned out to be true. Um, that was the same group. And I know that some of those folks were trading emails and sort of organizing around um, some resistance efforts to the Afghan war. And I didn't really get involved in any marches at that time because it just seemed pointless because it was obvious that they were going to do this. They, it was already underway. You know, they were loading the planes. They were going to invade no matter what anybody said. And, you know, the American public was like four square behind it somehow, you know, because they wanted, they wanted revenge. They wanted revenge on somebody, right? And they, yeah, they wanted to hit Al-Qaeda and blow up, you know, Osama bin Laden, but they really didn't care who they blew up. And they went raging into Afghanistan, even though a lot of the planning for 9-11 happened in Germany. I'm not sure why they didn't invade Germany, uh, but, but they did. And uh, we've, we've been there ever since. And that chapter is beginning to draw to a close. A bit like uh, Israel's occupation of uh, southern Lebanon. Uh, at some point, somebody just decides to say, okay, that's it. And they pull out. Uh, so it wasn't surprising that we, we ended up there. Um, and it became the same thing that our invasions and occupations always become, which is a kind of neo-colonial enterprise where we make alliances with certain elite groups within the country. Um, in this case, it was the Northern Alliance sort of warlord groups, uh, Dustum and some of the others, um, who we had, you know, had, had sort of tangential relationships with over the years, like during the Soviet invasion and occupation when we were supporting jihadists fighting them, including Osama bin Laden, incidentally. Um, and, uh, you know, our occupation over the past 20 years has been famously in support of a famously corrupt government. Um, uh, levels of corruption that are actually kind of gobsmacking that I can remember reading about in, you know, 2004, 2005, 2006. 15 years ago, um, it hasn't improved at all since then. Um, I can remember reading reading articles about it back then, about just how, you know, different branches of the Afghan government had to bribe one another to get them to do their jobs. I mean, rather than have like interagency processes, you know, like you have in supposedly in the United States where, you know, one agency contacts another and re makes requests and there's a process and all that. In Afghanistan, it was, okay, how much money you got? You know, how, <laughs> you basically had to bribe each other just to get you to do the job that you were supposedly hired to do. And this isn't like so much a slam on Afghans. It's, this is what happens when an occupier comes in and becomes the power behind the throne. They become the paymaster. 
I'm not a big follower of Rachel Maddow, but she did do a pretty good report that she did a callback to a few nights ago where she was walking around with her their foreign correspondent from NBC and you know they were pointing to these big compounds um on the uh around the suburbs of Kabul where um contractors and various power players in the occupation uh people from the gulf had built these massive compounds um fortified compounds around kabul just making enormous amounts of money off of off of the occupation because we were pouring billions and billions of dollars into it what is it 2 trillion dollars that we ended up spending on uh, on the entire afghan effort and did some of that go to build schools for for women? Some of it did. A lot of the money that went to that sort of thing went to zero. There were sort of bogus reports of schools being built, but they were half built or never opened or closed five minutes later or, you know, whatever. And there were some that were successes. There were some that were successes. But, they, you know, it was a mixed bag, right? And the level of corruption was ridiculous. And what you know, what you had in the in the Afghan military was a bunch of people who were working for the occupation because that was the only source of income in the goddamn country for so many people. It's a country that's been at war with itself for forty years with the help of outside powers. It's always been affected by outside powers much more powerful than they are from the regional players like Pakistan to, um, you know, superpowers like the Soviet Union and the United States. And when they apply their power and their money to a broken society like Afghanistan, um, that's, that's the only game in town. And that's why these people were fighting for them. I mean, I'm sure there's people who believed in the Afghan government, you saw people marching in Kabul just the last few days carrying a big Afghan flag. No doubt there's people in there that believed in the project of having a secular government, even if it was supported by the Americans. Maybe some of them because it was supported by the Americans. I don't know. I'm sure a lot of people in Afghanistan think that that's a good idea. Not a lot of people are are super crazy about the Taliban and who can blame them. But when it comes right down to it, you know, you're you're talking about a military that even though by the Pentagon's own reckoning, they had something like 300 to 350,000 men in arms um, in their armed forces, supposedly arrayed against the Taliban, that folded, you know, over the course of a couple of weeks. And it wasn't because they were losing fights. It's because a lot of them were not engaging in fights. And who can blame them? I can't. I mean, I've heard criticism of them. I've heard defenses of them. People saying, oh, they lost 66,000 people over the... They lost 66,000 soldiers over the course of of the entire war. Well, yeah, I don't doubt that. And a lot of civilians were killed, too. Sure, a lot of them died. But a lot of times, you know, when you're fighting for a cause that you may not be 100% behind, that you're fighting for, you know, a dollar, 
Um, you can get just as killed for a dollar as you can for your true beliefs, right? And I'm not saying they weren't motivated or good fighters. I'm sure a lot of them were. It's just that you get killed in wars. <laughs> I mean, that's just what happens. People are shooting at each other. And what happened over the past couple of months, and particularly the past couple of weeks, is that they they just, their commanders were like, no, I'm not going to get shot for this. And the underlings were like, well, no, I'm not going to be the last person to die for this lost cause. I'll live to either fight another day or we'll, we'll see what the next what the next leader is like, right? Because a lot of these people are younger than the conflict, you know? A little bit younger than the conflict. Or maybe just a little bit older. I mean, there's a, you know, people want to blame the Afghans for this. This was a stupid policy built on another stupid policy. That's what this was. You had Afghan soldiers line soldiers who hadn't been paid in months because their commanders are pocketing their pay. They get paid by the United States, essentially. The commanders are stuffing the money in their pockets and not paying or or supplying their their soldiers. And those people are are, are working without pay and maybe working without shoes. It's reminiscent of like the nationalist Chinese, the Kuomintang during the 1930s, during the Civil War. You know, they would march into a, a village. They'd press gang all, all the military-age males and some not-so-military-age so that their, the commanding officers could pocket their pay because they would get a certain amount of salary for every single recruit, and they would stuff it in their pockets. It's the same thing that was... It's more or less the same thing that was happening in Afghanistan. To some extent, I mean, it's just a massive corruption. And it's because it's a occupation of, you know, big spenders. You know, this is where the money was. <laughs> People were going after the money. Who can blame them? Right? They want to survive. They want to prosper. They want their, their children to prosper. They want to be able to send their kids to school. They want to have a home. They want to be able to feed their family. Who can blame them? And they did so at great risk. And that's why I say, you know, we should get as many people out of there as want to leave. And we should bring them here. I know Tucker Carlson and the rest of them, you know, Stephen Miller, for some reason, still on television. Um, I know that they, that they think this is terrible, right? They think we're importing terrorists or something. Fuck them. Who cares what they think? Bring the people here. We can easily absorb them. And, you know, they earned it. They put their life on the line for the U.S. cause, not the Afghan cause. It was a U.S. project that failed. And they put their lives on the line for it. And now their lives are on the line in a big way. And we need to get them out of there. So, I mean, that's the way I feel about that. I mean, let's not blame the Afghans. Let's do what we can to ameliorate this disaster that we created over 20 years, not the last 20 days, over the last 20 years. It was 20 years in the making and really 40 years in the making. 
So again, uh, you know, I'd say grudging praise for the president for at least having the stomach to pull pull the plug on this stupid war. Finally, to be the one who metaphorically falls on the sword, you know, and and takes the heat for doing so. For someone who's got the sort of imperial perspective that he has, um, see the <laughs> intercepts story on uh, Biden, uh, if you want to know the history, you know, that's quite an accomplishment. And I think part of the reason why they didn't withdraw people sooner is because they were talking to the leadership in Afghanistan, the members of the Afghan government that they supported, that were uh, the leadership in Ashraf Ghani's administration were telling them not to act as if they were leaving, not to act as if they were bugging out because they were afraid that the whole thing would collapse. So they were putting it off, right? And so naturally the Americans listened to their allies, their close allies, meaning the rich people and the well-connected people in Afghanistan and didn't give a shit about everyone else, right? And just listened to them. <laughs> Instead of trying to secure, you know, the release and the um, emigration of all these people that helped us out, helped out the imperial enterprise in a way that, you know, a lot of Afghans probably think is traitorous, right? But from our perspective, whether or not the imperial enterprise was right or wrong, I think it was wrong. I think we should have never done it. Nevertheless, even though I think it was wrong, I think we owe those people a debt because we talked them into it. They risked their lives for us. We need to help them. And the least we can do is bring them here. I know Tucker Carlson and Stephen Miller are afraid that there's going to be thousands of Ilhan Omars. Well, that wouldn't be so bad. Even though they seem to be mixing up Somalia with Afghanistan, uh, wrong continent? These guys need a geography lesson. They need a bit more than that. Jesus. Stephen Miller needs another coat of hair paint. I don't know what... Uh, the Swanson error, <laughs> the Swanson frozen dinner error needs. I think he needs to eat fewer frozen dinners. I think they're going to his head. In any case, what do I? What else do I have to say about this? I don't know. Um, I've heard some awfully stupid stuff coming out of the media about this. It's been really disturbing. I caught earlier today a Department of Defense press briefing where they were talking about the evacuation efforts and some of the questions from the mainstream press were just uh, these people are so invested in the imperial enterprise it's ridiculous i mean they almost make the department of defense seem you know like pacifists and <laughs> and they're not <laughs> like pacifists in comparison it's like these people are really hardcore like the Pentagon press corps is like, holy shit. And that's not, you know, that's not unprecedented, really. I, that was kind of the way it was during Vietnam as well. Uh, these Pentagon reporters get heavily invested in the imperial enterprise. They definitely internalize the values of, of uh, or they internalize the objectives of the imperial enterprise a lot more than the people at the Pentagon do, I think. 
Um, in a way, they become more Catholic than the Pope, right? It's like they don't, there's cynicism within the institution of the Pentagon about the actual enterprise and its its chances for success and its, you know, its value. Um, but they they put on a public face of optimism and it's like the press sort of clings on to that optimism and they end up believing it more than the Pentagon does. And that kind of happened during the, the Vietnam War as well. But it's it's pretty amazing to see it. I think there was one question today. I didn't really hear the whole thing. I was it was involved in other things. I was sort of listening from the next room. There was one question, I believe, from uh, uh, from one of the NBC correspondents uh, that was about what was she asking about? It was like Courtney Coubier, I think, was asking about you know the authority to uh, use uh, American firepower and air power against the Taliban, uh, that the authority that was granted by the Afghan government. Now, she's talking about the government that doesn't exist anymore, but she was kind of asking, is that, don't we still have the authority to do that by, by virtue of the Afghan government? Don't we still have the authority to sort of attack the Taliban or to, to you know, use our air power to defend? And, and it's like, what? I mean, I, I don't know what the Pentagon spokesperson had to say about that, but it was, it was kind of like a, are you kidding? There is no Afghan government in terms of what we were talking about like three weeks ago. That government is gone. It's done. It doesn't exist anymore. It's finished. Now it's the Taliban. They are the government. Where have you been for two weeks? I mean, it's just a ridiculous question. But it's so... Um, it's so indicative of the imperial mindset. It's it's kind of sickening. And there was another question too that was really mostly about you know well you said last last Thursday you said it last Thursday that you you know that that there was no chance that the the that Kabul would fall and now see what happens. So why were you so wrong? It's always like questions like that. It's like okay, guess what, buddy? Sometimes things go a little differently than you expect them to. I'm sure the guy, and I'm not defending them, but I'm sure the guy, you know, told them what, what the message was at that time, that they had fair confidence that it wasn't going to fall apart in five minutes, right? But it fell apart in five minutes. And I think maybe they knew that was a possibility, but supposedly, you know, if General Milley is to be believed, and I'm not sure that I do believe him, but I would tend to believe him more than I believe the intelligence analysts that are sort of putting out a different story now <laughs> to cover their own ass. Um, that there were no intelligence predictions of a rapid collapse of the type that we saw, that this was a surprise and that they had seen no intelligence estimates that predicted anything like that. There were different scenarios that were laid out. That was not one of them. So I think this did take them by surprise, but it was because, as always, you know, the intelligence was a failure, probably because, you know, those people are, you know, looking at it through imperial goggles, just like the press does. Well, anyway, uh, there's a lot more I could say about this. Uh, I'll save it for another time, though. Uh, that's pretty much all I got to say.
I'd like to hear what you have to say. You can leave a one-minute voice message if you go to anchor.fm slash strange sound, all one word. Uh, you will find the means of doing so there. You can also reach out to me on Twitter, at strange sound pod is our handle. You can um, direct message me. You can tweet at me. You can, you name it. Uh, if you need other means of getting in touch with me, you can go to big-green.net and click on the contact link. You will find other means of getting in touch with me there. Uh, please do um, let me know what you think. Uh, push back, um, comment, share the show, like the show, hate the show, excruciate me on Twitter, whatever you like. Just feel free to... Uh, Leave comments for me. If you want to leave a longer comment, you can just send me a sound file or something like that. Uh, we can we can arrange something. Just reach out and uh, we'll turn this into a conversation. That would be fun. In any case, uh, hope all is well out there. Take care. Be safe. Just as a little addendum, uh, that uh, relative of mine that was sick with COVID is recovering. I just wanted to sort of tie that up. Uh, not that anyone is like waiting with bated breath, but that person is improving and I am glad to report that and hopefully things are well with you as well. I hope your family is well and I hope uh, you're staying safe out there. Take good care, wear a mask, get your shots. We love you. Bye now.